Hello and welcome, Duck fans, where and whenever you're watching or listening. This is the Once a Duck podcast, where we bring you up to date with current and former University of Oregon athletes and give you never before heard stories about your favorite teams and moments in duck history. I'm Nick Cody. I'm a former duck offensive lineman. With me is my co-host Samuel Tidrick Smith or at Samuel 101 TS. Sam, it's Civil War week. Nick, we don't call it that anymore. We don't. Means I got to make a donation to our uh, very special Civil War swear jar. Uh, I said it again. Put it in there. Uh, it's a it's a a very special Rose Bowl one that I won from the War of the Roses in 2009. Uh, so we'll still call that a war. But for now, this is the Platypus Cup, right, Sam? The Platypus Cup. That's what it is. That's what it's going to be. That's our official prediction, our official statement on the matter. If you are a Once a Duck listener, you are listening to us break down the Platypus Cup. Yeah, and before we get to that Platypus Cup, we've got to talk about the UCLA matchup with Chip Kelly that just happened that ended in a 38-35 win for the Ducks. While I know a lot of fans aren't happy, I know one that's going to be very happy is at back roll 23 who is the closest in our score prediction he said it was going to be 38 24 ducks now while it was a little bit closer than that that, that was our best guess and uh he gets a three pack of masks so uh i bet he's really excited about that win talking about the game uh first and foremost i think uh there was a lot of frustration felt by duck fans particularly you know that first half a lot of back and forth um, but I also look at this as, as something we've expected this whole season, that games are going to be up and down, uh, that teams are going to have, you know, each other's defense have kind of figured out, it felt like, on that game. And, uh, you know, we saw the Ducks run game struggle for kind of the first time this season. So, uh, you know, just before we, we really delve in deep here on what we saw in the game and uh, some questions from our fans, uh, I wanted to just go over another quote from our life manual. And uh, today we're going to talk about toughness. Toughness is in the soul and spirit, not the muscles. And that's from Alex Karras. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But uh, that comes from the old life manual. And I think that's, that's real important as we go back and reflect on this game. As we'll talk about, there was a big injury to Noah Stool that got everybody pretty nervous. There were a lot of moments where it seemed like uh, Coach Kelly had us quite figured out, not just in terms of their offense and, uh, you know, going in with a backup quarterback kind of last minute and, and executing really, really well in the run game. But also I, I felt like they really had a run game kind of figured out a little bit and uh, we're shutting us down there. So uh, I'm happy we got the win. I'm thankful for it. And I'm, I'm glad that our team was able to get that challenge at home. And, and we really got to see that this is a tough team there that we, backups can step up in big moments, Sam. Backups can step up in a huge moment, Nick. Before we get into that, really quickly, I just want to run through some of the best parts of this game, some of the positive of what we were able to take away from it. Number one, Tyler Shuck, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 19 for 30, 334 yards. He had a great ball game. We saw a great ball game out of Devin Williams, six receptions, 123 yards, one touchdown, as well as Hunter Campmoyer returning from injury, five receptions, 70 yards, a touchdown. There were some really, really good things seen in this ballgame. Another one was some of the intensity defensively. While there was still definitely some mistakes, probably one of the biggest plays of the game was made on defense and was made by a second stringer stepping up, that being Happel for Oregon, returning the interception on the Hail Mary at the end of the half, a play that 
was energetic and was exciting, but one that in a close ball game turned out to be potentially the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And Happel was a huge pickup coming in this season, especially, you know, after we lost so many DBs, including a guy we'll talk to later, Brady Breeze, uh, you know, but he came in at just such a big moment. I know a lot of fans were talking about a couple plays before that that it seemed like he missed, but, uh, you know, I thought it was a big mistake and, and very unusual of Chip to, to not just kind of uh, run the clock out there at the end of the half, but you know, I think uh, with uh, making that big play there in the penalty, I thought, you know, maybe that's what changed his mind. But, man, uh, the hit on the quarterback, I think that was doorless. It was. Uh, that was nasty. First and foremost, Happel needs to go give him a big thank you because, uh, you know, the quarterback had no idea where that ball was going when he put it up because he was looking at the sky. Uh, that was an awesome hit. It was good to see the quarterback pressure that we were getting on, even when we weren't necessarily getting there. Uh, you know, making a guy that young nervous is always going to be doing a good thing. Uh, you know, as long as he's hearing footsteps back there, if you get him, uh, you know, if you get a young guy moving in the pocket early, you know, before there even is really pressure, sometimes that can force a sack. So that was something I was really happy about at the end of the first half, obviously. But uh, yeah, what a play from Happel. And, uh, you know, big players step up in big moments, make big plays. They absolutely do. Another big player who stepped up in some big moments today, or excuse me, on Saturday, Travis Dye in the, in the rushing as well as the receiving game. He led all rushers, only 40 yards. That's how much Oregon's offense was struggling to run the ball. 10 carries, 40 yards. It's only four yards a carry. But also in the passing game, he had one catch for 32 yards and a touchdown. Travis Dye, especially the last two weeks, has been somebody who's definitely been stepping up for the Ducks. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, where we were struggling in the run game wasn't on our running backs. You know, I think in past seasons, we've talked a lot about how sometimes it felt like guys were going down on the first tackle. No, I, I definitely felt this one was a lot more on the, the offensive line. Uh, things I saw, uh, you know, people like to make a lot about, you know, uh, people move, moving guys, defensive linemen up front, uh, stunting. And, and we knew going into this game that there'd be a lot of it from UCLA and uh uh, the young uh, Digazua, I played against his brother, and uh, he 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 came out and really showed himself to be a really really good player, and he exposed how young and youthful you know how youthful and inexperienced our offensive line is for the most part, but they still came out and I thought they handled their business, they adjusted. The thing is, you just have to start to learn, and I think that was a good challenge for them, especially going into this week, is having to adjust to things as you go, and, and how much of that just falls back on technique and things you practice every single day in practice. And those things are, as an offensive lineman, trying to keep your shoulders square and aligned as you as you progress on your pathway to whoever it is your responsibility is to block. And, and what's really key about that, Sam, and a lot of people don't realize is that when you turn your shoulders in offensive lineman, particularly if you see a defensive lineman who is lined up in your outside gap and right before the snap, he moves inside. What, 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 what are you going to do? You might turn and you might want to block down on him that can leave a huge hole not just for your offense but for a linebacker to come up and fill and take out a running back's opportunity so sometimes you have to be really cautious about when you progress to a linebacker or you see a defensive lineman slant inside that it doesn't take you off your pathway and what your assignment is supposed to be as an offensive lineman and I saw that happen a couple times not just because of scheme but sometimes just because of guys being a little bit out of position and sometimes that's from not trusting your technique Trusting your technique is obviously something that this young offensive line is going to need to work on just a little bit. There's obviously some stuff across the board that has to be worked on. 
another place that I think needs a little bit of work for this Oregon team, and it's something that we've talked about over the past couple of weeks, but man, it is tackling specifically rush defense. UCLA dominated the rush game, 267 yards to 88. It wasn't really close. UCLA was able to run the ball when they needed to. They were able to move when they needed to. Yes, they were running a triple option. It was something that Oregon was probably not super ready for, something that Oregon was probably not super, has not prepared a ton for over this season, as that's not something that's generally seen too often in the Pac-12. But UCLA was using it, and they were absolutely exploiting Oregon with it defensively. Yeah, and, and not just that, but the things I've seen Coach Kelly scheme up before, and not just how, um, you know, the run game works in terms of, you know, pitch guys or, you know, running the rope option, uh, like we saw variations of, but also just schematically being able to to create blocks and, and, and rub-offs of – without even touching a guy. So something you would see pretty often frequently back in, in coach Kelly's offenses in our days were receivers that were taking very close paths that were very specific in the run game to getting linebackers to fall into each other. And Oregon did a lot of the same things. If you really looked at it, it was really fun to watch as somebody that likes to see offensive scheming go back and forth because, uh, you know, Oregon was doing some of the same things. In fact, uh, if you remember the speed option that we had there that kind of looked like uh, it was going one way and it was like a counter speed option with Chuck, uh, that was amazing because if you look closely, we had a pulling guard going, you know, like opposite of the play and you almost never see that with speed options. So that makes the linebacker take about two shuffle steps. And that's all it takes to get them out of position so that they don't have an angle to make a play on the quarterback or the speed option guy, whoever their responsibility is. So you saw some things like that out of uh, coach Kelly's offense that really opened up their run game a lot too. For us, it felt like a lot more in the passing game that guys were getting open and uh, Chuck made a lot of great decisions. And I, I thought schematically both offenses just came out and they really had a great game plan for the defenses, but you're right. Tackling, not just, you know, on Oregon, but in the Pac-12 for the most part has, has been really bad this year. And I kind of expected that going into the season with limited conditioning for a lot of teams because that's what it comes down to, man. Tackling is so much about effort, heart, and repetition. And uh, guys getting fatigued, guys out there that haven't had as many reps or as many padded practices going into this year, man. I mean, you could see it's week three and, and that guys just haven't had the amount of time and preparation out there as they would in a normal season in November. So... I think what we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of inexperience and it's also just guys that just haven't had enough time to to get in that mentality of of hitting people every every weekend every Saturday and that really is something you you can only work on in practice and they've had such limited time this year that you know it doesn't surprise me and I, I don't think we're going to see it change in this limited window that the Pac-12 has as we're already in midseason. You mentioned it already in midseason three games gone Three games left to go. We're going to get into one of those games here coming up in just a minute. One thing I want to address before we get there, questions. There were questions asked about this UCLA ball game, and I want to throw a couple your way, Nick, just to kind of get your answer, get your perspective on the matters so that we can put a nice bow on this UCLA matchup. Absolutely. The first one is one that you actually already answered on Twitter, but we felt was prominent enough to bring onto the podcast. At two Virgil's cam asks, Kayvon is playing the four eye. What is that? Okay. So um, this is, you know, something 
it, it sounds really complicated and complex. And, and when you say a player lines up in a three technique or he's a nose tackle, these have a lot of different meanings, but it doesn't mean that person is always in that position. As a defense, you're going to be asked a ton of different things based on the structure of your defense, uh, your alignments, the calls, and whatever your defensive schemes are. But what you know that is pretty consistent is the alignments and the techniques. And so a defensive lineman's technique starts at the center, works out. So the zero alignment or a true nose is going to line up directly over the center. Uh, and then you'll see from there the, that nose tackle or defensive tackle, uh, as they consider it, if he lines up just outside the center, that's considered a one technique. So their responsibility is a little bit different. How they have to play their gap responsibility is a little bit different based on that alignment. And basically you work out from there and that's how your count works. So uh, a two would be, you know, aligned on the guard. A three technique is lined up just outside shade of the guard. And a four technique is lined up head up on the tackle. So a four eye just means you're taking the inside number of that tackle. You're lining up right there. So when they say cave on is a four eye and you hear that in interviews and Stuff. That, that means that's a technique he's playing. He's not always there, but it's not the same as when he's in that true five technique and has the edge of the tackle. And then you work out from there, so on and so forth. If there's a tight end and you're lined up on the tight end, your seven technique. If you're lined up far outside a tight end, even if there is no tight end, even if it's an imaginary tight end, you see this in the NFL from the Eagles. Um, you know, you got that huge stand up guy that's just. You know he's coming, but he's way out there to make it really difficult on your tactical set uh, in pass protection. So there's a ton of little things like that that, that just – but it, it's an alignment. So when they're talking about that and Kayvon's talking about, you know, putting on weight or mass to handle, it's a lot of that is just because when you're in that position, you don't just have the edge. When I played defensive end in high school, I loved being in a five technique because it meant you just had to keep your outside shoulder free. Your responsibility was contained. And when the quarterback dropped back, as soon as you saw him look like he was going to pass, you were just to go all out. And uh, I think that's something that's really fun. When you're in that four eye, you're already inviting people to double team you, not just in the run game, but in pass protection. If a, if a slide protection is coming your way, in fact, you know that guard's going to be coming over with the center help. So you're going to get bumped a lot, but it does put you in a great position to get upfield right away. Uh, it can put the tackle in a bad spot, for example, especially in the run game. And your responsibilities are a little bit different, but you can do a lot of interesting twists. And I think uh, something we've seen from Kayvon this year, especially in that position, is he's eaten up a lot of blockers and, and opened a lot of other free guys to make plays. An excellent answer there. The second question comes from at Kyle Cad, Mr. Special K checking in. I'm just going to, I'm just going to paraphrase the question a little bit because it is a long one, but I think it's an important one. The question is about Sewell's injury, a guy we saw go down. Nobody liked how the injury looked at first. It looked nasty. But now we hear that there might be some potential for him to be able to make a comeback and play. Excellent news. So the question being asked is, does a major injury like that change the way you approach the game? Does it make you more cautious, maybe more knowledgeable? How does a major injury and coming back from it affect the way you play the, the game? Yeah. So – First and foremost, I, I want to say every injury is different. Everybody's body is different. So any comparisons I make or, or experiences I draw upon are mine and mine alone. So, um, and, and first and foremost, uh, you know, the organizational chart shows Noah Sewell still, still playing this week. And, uh, you know, Coach Cristobal came out and this Monday's practice said that, you know, he was available and looking like his normal self, which is amazing. And some guys are built like that. Um, in my experience, I had a, a very – 
similar looking play uh, when I was a red shirt. And it was actually like very last week of fall camp. And uh, the guy rolling up on my ankle was uh, another offensive lineman at the time moved over to the defensive line, Hamani Stevens. And uh, I was engaged in a block. And I just remember um, having no idea what happened. I just felt a crack and then someone had rolling off my leg and I went down. And unfortunately for me, um, you know, that I, I had, you know, I went down, that was a practice, but I was a practice squad guy. I was very clearly not going to be playing that year. So, uh, you know, the treatment center was kind of on my own, you know, it was, I had to go in there and I had to kind of like bug the trainers to, to get work done on me. So, uh, once I was back, I think I was in a boot for like two days and trying to get the ice and compression and swelling down. Uh, that's, that's a huge thing with, you know, any kind of, uh, injury, if you see on the field that getting the, the right treatment, which in many cases is just getting ice on it right away to limit the swelling and damage that can be done. I mean, it's huge. And Oregon has fantastic trainers. So, uh, when I saw that, uh, first and foremost, I, I was reminded of my injury that year. And unfortunately, um, while I was still able to continue playing football and I only had a couple practices I missed. Uh, throughout that season, it didn't get a lot better. And at the end of that season and going into winter conditioning, uh, they decided I had to have arthroscopy on it just to get some damage and tissue that because uh, it cleaned up in there because, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't fully flex my ankle entirely. So there's things to keep in mind of when we see that. When I saw Noah go down, yeah, it looked really bad. Um, but getting to see him by the end of the game work his way back on the field, obviously, uh, you know, out there with a, uh, a single crutch and, and putting a little bit of weight on in a boot had me more optimistic, but you have to, it changes everything uh, to answer that question. And it's a great question. Um, how you approach every morning uh, when you wake up, not just when you get in the building uh, and, you know, having to get there early for treatment, but, you know, just when you wake up in the morning, I remember uh, even two seasons later, I had some foot issues work back up again. Uh, you know, that, that ankle that I had had surgery on, you know, I started having different ankle and foot issues on that same foot because the rehabilitation I didn't complete, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't having a full range of motion like I had before. And I had learned that, you know, I wasn't taking as much time as I should have, as I learned when I was older and obviously getting, you know, a lot more uh, priority treatment as I was a starter. Uh, I started to realize just how much, you know, ankle mobility was suffering and how that was leading to other injuries down there. So that's always something to be mindful of. You've got to come in an extra 30 minutes, an hour, you know, depending on how bad the injury is, sometimes even more to come work with the trainers one-on-one -on -one and get yourself ready uh, physically for practice. And then the mental side that comes with that, uh, you have to be able to be confident that you're out there and you're, you know, I hate to put percentages on it because it's always a guessing game, but you want to feel like you're going to be safe. And if your injury in any way makes you feel like you might pull up for a second on the football field and in, in, you know, those three to five seconds that a play is happening, that's dangerous, not just for you, but you could be the next guy that rolls up on someone else's ankle. Uh, and nobody wants that. So the mentality you have to approach it with is huge. And the biggest thing is you have to trust the the training staff there. And I wish I would have earlier because, you know, they'll tell you and it'll seem like they're just telling you the same stuff to everybody, but they they know what they're doing. They've seen these things a million times. They've taped at least a million ankles, you know, and uh, they have experts in there in every single department that they, you know, they go and refer to and things are really serious. So uh, it took me until, you know, my ankle was scoped to really take it as seriously as I needed to, but 
I think the biggest thing uh, is body to body is different and the Sewells are clearly built different. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they treated it right away, got ice on it. And the next couple of days, the swelling went down and you just saw this guy, you know, uh, kind of heal back miraculously because number one, the youth there, I mean, when we're all younger, we all heal a lot faster. But uh, also just, you know, those guys are built different, man. Maybe, uh, maybe thankfully it was just a, a, a loose high ankle sprain that isn't going to be too serious and they can play on. That's what, that's what I hope for because our defense is really leaning on him. And you could tell once he was out for that game that, you know, the UCLA run game was able to take advantage of us a lot. That it absolutely was. Nosul, one of those guys who fills the gap so well. When a guy like that goes out of the ball game, it's definitely going to affect the run defense. Nick, is there anything else you have on your mind from this Oregon-UCLA matchup, or are we mo- good to move on to Oregon State? Man, I just think it's good to keep in mind that, uh, you know, I think we really have not, you know, we can't rush to judgment. I, it's midseason, but it's three games into the season. I think, uh, you know, you hear a lot of people that, that want to be quick to, you know, the first couple series that things aren't going well. They want to pull the quarter back or they want to question coaching. And I think we saw, you know, Coach Kelly's best shot. And uh, I think we're going to continue to see other teams' best shot as Oregon clearly emerges as one of the only teams that's thankfully been able to play all of its games so far, knock on wood, but also as one of the only undefeated teams from the Pac-12. So, uh, And one of the only strong ones that looks like in a position that it can make some national attention. So uh, it's important to not overreact, to keep a positive attitude about it, because I think the things we are seeing are really encouraging, not just for this year, but to build upon going into next season, I mean, I love the offense. I love some of the young players we have on defense. So I think it's important to keep those things in mind. And I, I think with that, we can wrap on to Platypus Cup Week. Platypus Cup Week. That's a good catch right there, Nick. It is Platypus Cup Week, Oregon versus Oregon State. These two teams, they've played each other 123 times. Oregon, well, they've won 66 of those, 10 of which have been ties, by the way. Current win streak in the rivalry, Oregon on a three-game win streak, looking to extend that to four this Friday. Nick, Oregon versus Oregon State always brings up a lot of really fun memories. I can tell you about sitting on my bedroom floor listening to Jeremiah Johnson run down the sideline, but we already did that last year. Go check out Uncivil. It was a great episode we had. I believe it was our fourth episode out of the gate. Go check it out. It was a lot of fun. You can listen to it on soundcloud apple music spotify i believe youtube anywhere you find your podcast it will be there what i can say though is that there have been a lot of great games in this rivalry but we've already spoken on so many of them why don't we speak on something else about the rivalry nick something that you might have a little bit more personal of a connection with yeah well i think uh we'll talk a little bit about what it's like getting recruited by both Oregon and Oregon State and uh back in my day uh you know Mike Riley was the coach um which you know uh however many of the last 20 years it felt like you know you could say that just given most of the years but uh I was really close to going to Oregon State I've talked about this before in my recruiting process but never quite talked about um why I didn't go to Corvallis or what that recruiting process was like so uh I think one of the funny, funniest things is, is it was the 2007 Oregon spring game. And I was invited as a recruit, but the Oregon State spring game was the same day and they really wanted me. And uh, the times were, were pretty close in line. And uh, I believe I had 
said that I would try to uh, make it a halftime to the Oregon State game. I didn't tell her coaches I was down at Oregon, obviously. Uh, but yeah, Coach Langsdorf, I believe, was the offensive coordinator, and Coach Cavanaugh was the offensive line coach. And I texted them that, uh, yeah, I'd try and make it down at halftime and uh, have kind of an unofficial visit after. Well, I stayed for the entire Oregon spring game because Oregon and uh, I was already you know feeling really really great about my time in Eugene and being in Austin so uh, I hung around uh, got to talk coach Bilotti coach Graywood a little bit and then figured get it load up with my mom like we could stop by Oregon State on the way so text the coaches their spring game's over um, they they still roll out the red carpet for me on an unofficial uh, got to take a little uh, golf cart golf cart ride around Corvallis, which you know took all of five seconds, and <laughs> and you know uh, that was a hilarious experience because I just remember thinking, man, I feel like such a jerk, but it was also one of those opportunities in recruiting where you kind of feel really, really special, wanted, um, and you know, my mom, I think that more than anything, like she really enjoyed that and kind of being catered to and all the coaches talking really nice to her. But I just remember the thing that really um, struck me as weird was uh, when I finally got to meet Coach Riley, obviously very, very busy guy, but uh, halfway into sitting there talking with him, it was like one of his kids burst into the room, which shocked me. And, you know, in the football facilities and he's got all of his trophies around and all of a sudden Coach Riley's kid and two a couple kids and his wife just show up. And I was just like, it was completely out of nowhere. And I could tell like, oh, I'm like intruding on like the families being here after the spring game and stuff. So that's when I was like, okay, I got to hightail it out of here. And uh, I felt a little bit about, a little bit bad about that. I don't think I've ever really told anybody till now. So uh, all those guys out there, Mike Riley, Coach Langsdorf, uh, Coach Kavanaugh especially, because he was the one uh, taking us out on the golf course, golf cart ride. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not that sorry. I'm a little sorry. But, you know, it's uh, that's that's the platy, man. That's just just how the rivalry goes. Sometimes, uh, you know, you just uh, got to play your cards close to the chest in this rivalry. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the state of Oregon take it very, very seriously. Um, you know, my time, it, the, the rivalry, you know, was – I don't want to say non-existent as we talked last year, uh, you know, there were some traditions, but chip was a huge, you know, uh, every opponent is a faceless opponent. So we did kind of treat Oregon state that way. Uh, I think at least, you know, some of the things that when I played there at least were, uh, you know, a big focus of the attention was, you know, constantly just kind of their physicality on defense and defensive line in particular. But once you handled that, it, it felt like, you know, uh, Oregon State was always bringing to the table a bunch of blue-collar guys that if Oregon in my time came out and just executed, it felt like we were going to do really well against. So, uh, yeah, the whole recruiting process, I just knew Corvallis wasn't for me. Some people it is. I'm not going to judge anybody. Um, but, yeah, could not see myself in Corvallis after that. I remember driving back home uh, to the Vancouver, Washington area and just thinking the whole time, like – I, I felt bad about wasting the coach's time even for that a little bit extra after because, yeah, definitely like, you nope, know, nope, can't see it. Well, Nick, for our listeners who aren't as lucky as to have been able to play against Oregon State several times, what kind of a team are the Beavers? What kind of a ball club do you know you're going to face every single time you step out on the field against Oregon State? 
Well, you know, I think with uh, Coach Smith coming back, he's really kind of reintegrated that toughness in the teams that we saw from Coach Riley, Coach teams, uh, and and some some interesting. I don't want to say gadgets because I, I wouldn't even say particularly in years past against Oregon that Coach Smith's uh, gadget plays have been particularly effective. But I think really uh, some of the offenses schematically, I really love. Um, you saw particularly this week, uh, and I know my buddy who's a Cal fan was extremely frustrated with their ability to make big and timely plays. And uh, I think that Coach Smith is a real offensive guru in that sense of being able to really prime up a defense for those big play moments and, and establishing the running game to set up the passing game. is something that, you know, was the foundation of all the great Oregon State teams I played against. So uh, back in the day, we saw, uh, you know, like the uh, – the Rogers twins and a lot of that fly sweep action, setting up other things. And now I think it's a lot more of, especially with Jebbia this year, it's kind of relying on the quarterback to distribute the football uh, spread teams out a little bit more than previous Oregon state offenses and, and just do some different things. And I think uh, their defense is really, you know, I mean, been just kind of the, the crux for them the past couple of years. I think the offense has really stepped up, but it's been that defense that's, that's kept them out of certain games. And I think as soon as they sure that up and that sometimes, you know, that's like we've, we've talked about and we'll talk about later uh, in this episode is tackling and just being able to do that consistently. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's tough to, to just kind of go out and, and coach. It's really kind of like a heart and toughness thing sometimes. And uh, the Beavers are always tough, man. They always figure out a way, but you can always, you can always tell that their defense uh, lets them down sometimes in those key moments. And, you know, I think last season was, was really close to being a turnaround point for them. But as we saw, even in, uh, you know, the Oregon state game we went to, uh, they, they, they had some big plays, but they allowed a lot of big plays too, that were, you know, because of mental mistakes and, and just little things that happen the way the football bounces. You mentioned that game we went to, it was Tristan Jebbia's first start for the Oregon state Beavers. He played a pretty good game alongside him. Justin Herbert, he also played a pretty good game himself. Both guys went out and balled. A guy that I watched from this Oregon state ball club, though, a guy that I'm impressed with is Jamar Jefferson. There are very few running backs of his caliber in the Pac-12, if any at all. He is a hard runner. He is an aggressive runner. He's the kind of guy who's always going to fall forward, and I think that that could be a problem for Oregon coming up this weekend. Well, yeah, and if you're him after the week he had against Cal and you're, you're watching the Oregon tape this week, you got to be licking your chops, thinking, man, I could have a huge day uh, if Oregon comes out and plays like that. Um, so, yeah, that's a guy, you know, Jamar Jefferson, that's a guy you got to shut down. Uh, that's kind of where the the keys have to be on defense. That's, that's where it all starts is tackling him and shutting him down before he can get extra yards. I think that's going to be a huge, huge key this week. And, uh you know, at least in terms of our offense, I think it's going to be a huge part of containing, you know, consistently keeping the ball so that you can keep it out of his hands. If you can play, you know, kind of that bully ball style that sometimes has gotten the best of Oregon in the past where you can limit the other team's possessions, I think that will really help them against Oregon State because once he gets going, man, it's tough to stop. Oregon versus Oregon State. It will be going down Friday. That will be such a fun ball game, Nick. It's about that time of the set of our episode. Time to talk about some of the keys for this weekend. You just mentioned one in being able to stop Oregon State's running attack and Jamar Jefferson. I'm curious for a couple of more things Oregon is going to have to do coming up on Friday to get the win over Oregon State. 
So um, one thing that, you know, that used to be a coaching point I used to hear is be where your feet are. And I think a lot of times when someone's trying to make a big play, execute a big block, uh, you lose sight of where you are trying to get where you want to be. And in terms of blocking, especially as an offensive lineman, I always understood it that if I, if I didn't have my feet underneath me, it wasn't going to matter. I was going to get to a linebacker or a defensive lineman, and I wasn't going to be able to execute the kind of block with the force I wanted. It was, you know, there's a chance you whiff, there's a chance you get thrown off, you know, off balance. Um, and we saw a lot of times, particularly, you know, even uh, Devon Williams, there's times where it's like, that guy looks like he wants to make a play so bad. And then, his feet aren't under him. You know what I mean? And uh, I think we saw that even happen on the offensive line a couple of times. Sometimes when you're pushing so hard to make a play or do something spectacular, um, you, you fall out of rhythm and, you, and you, you, you have mistakes. And I think that's something Oregon needs to show up. Obviously, I think they've done a pretty solid job this season in terms of, you know, cleaning up penalty. Offensively, I think I've, I've been very happy at least. But, man, it's just been so uh, – inconsistent i guess to see you know uh i don't know especially particularly on defense with tackling i mean we could we'll we'll talk about it all the time but yeah i i really think that's going to be a huge key well you just said it right there but my key to this game was going to be tackling it has to happen for oregon this week we've been saying it for the past two episodes now the past three weeks that we've been watching oregon play there have been issues sticking guys to the ground it's been difficult for the ducks across the board it's not just a d-line issue a linebacker issue a defensive secondary issue it's across the board oregon is struggling to wrap up they're struggling to hit and they are struggling to bring guys to the ground this is something i know you can talk more about and we're going to talk more about with our guest here coming up but that is something oregon has to be able to clean up in order to beat oregon state on friday well, yeah, and you, you said it. It's something we've talked about, but I think, uh, you know, it's going to be something we probably continue to talk about. It, it, it isn't something that is just consistent with one team. I've, I've seen it throughout college football this season. Even see it sometimes at the NFL level right now where uh, particularly with the limited preparation, man, it, it's tough. Uh, and particularly if you have any guys out due to COVID or contact tracing, uh, it's even tougher because not getting those reps and coming back. And um, I, I think a lot of what, I think threw off our defense uh, even more and had them out of position to make tackles last week was again, schematically, we saw some things we weren't expecting. We played a quarterback. We weren't expecting, you know, we had talked a lot about DTR and, and, you know, the kind of passes he would attempt to throw. And I think we saw actually a really, really good young quarterback that made a lot of great decisions besides that, you know, that one fumble at the half where he's getting knocked to the sky. So I think, uh, yeah, Oregon has to keep in mind that, um, with all the guys that they lost in that secondary, uh, like Brady Breeze, it, it's going to be really, really hard. And you're going to have to get those extra reps in practice and take every single one of those seriously to try and, you know, improve your own individual ability to tackle because tackling is a fundamental skill and you only improve fundamentals by working on them constantly. Somebody who's worked on his game constantly is somebody who we are about to have on the show with us. And Nick, I am so excited for this interview it is somebody who uh, I consider a friend somebody who I've definitely watched a few Oregon basketball games with been able to enjoy meeting join the company of uh, why don't you tee it up for us and then we can get to it 
Yeah, we talked to him in the Rose Bowl a little bit. I got to, you know, congratulate him off of the field after. And I got to say, hey, man, I hope you come on my podcast someday. And who knew it would be so soon uh, with us now? Brady Breeze. Brady, thank you for joining us. Last week, we had on another guest who is seemingly born a duck, Neil Everett. On this show, we love talking with our guests about their unique experiences coming to Oregon, but we really couldn't go without asking you, what was it like having an uncle like Chad Cota, who was a part of that historic gang green defense in 1994? Um, I mean, that was pretty cool. Uh, so, you know, growing up, we used to always, you know, put in his old uh, – you know, tape clips and put them in the TV and the VHS and, you know, watch his old highlights and watch, you know, some old games. Uh, I remember as a kid, you know, I'd sneak into his, you know, his uh, bedroom and stuff. And because he had all the tapes in there. And me and my cousin, we'd grab them and we'd, you know, watch. I think it was the Oregon versus Washington game. Um, and we saw a couple games where he had some picks and stuff. I think it was Oregon versus Cal or something like that that we would watch as well. And it was, I don't know, it was just kind of cool watching, you know, all those games and stuff and seeing, you know, legendary guys like Kenny Wheaton playing, you know, all these games. And I don't know, just kind of learning about the history of Oregon was pretty cool. And, you know, we go to Austin games as a kid and stuff, and all these people are coming up to him like, hey, you're Chad Cota, this and that. So, I mean, that was pretty cool. I mean, we didn't really know how, you know, much of a legend he was, you know, until we got older. You know, all these people, you know, still recognize his name. And, you know, he definitely left a mark on Oregon, that's for sure. Brady, Duck fans are very familiar with your uncle, but one person that I want them to be very familiar with as well is you, the man, Brady Breeze. Who is Brady Breeze? Where did he come from, and how did he get to Oregon? Man, so I grew up in uh, Southern Oregon. I was born and raised in Medford, Oregon. Um, lived there until I was 16, and then uh, when I was 16, my family and I, we decided to uh, move out of Medford in Southern Oregon and move up to uh, Lake Oswego, you know, the Portland metro area. And... Uh, you know, played at South Medford for two years and then played at Central Catholic for two years. Um, got a scholarship going into my junior year, um, but really, like, grew up, you know, my whole life being a Duck fan. You know, went to uh, games at Autzen, you know, as long as I can remember. Um, sixth grade, I was in a boot. I broke my leg uh, in sixth grade and still managed to hobble up and down the stairs, you know, going to Austin games and stuff. So, I mean, my whole life, you know, we've been, you know, diehard Duck fans. And then, you know, when I got down there, just – you know, going crazy because, you know, that's all we've ever, you know, dreamed of doing. You know, we had duck pajamas, um, duck wallpapers on our phones and iPads and stuff, you know, growing up. I mean, we've been, you know, diehard. So, you know, it's definitely been a cool experience. And, you know, being able to play Oregon, it was definitely a dream come true for me, my family, um, you know, and my friends and stuff. So it's, it's definitely been, you know, a great time. See, I, I can definitely relate because I've got the duck pajamas now. I didn't have them before because I wasn't a duck, but now, now I've learned. Um, so another thing we can really relate on is you're a guy that worked your way up to the depth chart. And, you know, you didn't have a ton of starts over your career, but when you did, you had a big impact on the field. What was it like kind of grinding through and working your way onto the field? Oh, man, it was tough. I mean, you know, I felt like I should have got some more opportunities and stuff, you know, showing up practice, you know, feel like I have a great practice you know, and just wouldn't really get, you know, the rewards for, you know, performances, you know, in the practice field and stuff. So that was definitely really frustrating seeing how games would go. You know, my sophomore year, I almost didn't play, you know, any type of defense. Um, so that really frustrated me. But, you know, being able to play special teams and stuff, you know, kept me hungry. 
and going into my redshirt junior year, I mean, I, I was like pissed off, you know, cause I felt like I should have played more. And, you know, I just kept kind of grinding up the depth chart. I think I was four string going into spring ball, um, going into my junior year. And, uh, you know, I was just like so frustrated and stuff. But I was like, you know, I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to grind it. You know, this is what I've you know dreamed of doing. So, you know, worked my tail off and ended up, you know, becoming a starter by the end of that spring and then worked my way into the season. Um, was starting all fall camp, uh, started, you know, the week of Auburn, of the Auburn game. Lily was the starter until 11 o'clock Friday night. My coach came and knocked on my door and told me I wasn't starting. So that, you know, obviously made me super pissed off and ended up playing, you know, not like the most of that game. Uh, I think I played like three quarters of that game. So, I mean, I was fired up, but it just, you know, it motivated me more each and every day. And then, you know, as the season, you know, went on, I finally got some more opportunities and stuff. And, you know, started to make some plays, you know, I just tried to make the best of it. I mean, as frustrated as I was, you know, I definitely was so happy with myself and happy with my coaches for, you know, finally giving me opportunities and stuff and, you know, let me get to play football because, you know, that's what I came to Oregon to do, to play football, not to watch, you know, I watched my whole life. And so when I was at Oregon, you know, I wanted to play, obviously. Uh, but yeah, you know, finally being able to get those opportunities, you know, I was so thankful and so happy with my coaches, you know, for finally giving me a chance. And, you know, they were super proud of me at the end of the season you know, the way things worked out and stuff like that. So, you know, it worked out pretty good though. You know, it was a rough start, but it, it, it ended really well. So, Brady, you mentioned it there for a minute and it's the impact on special teams. It's something that we talk about on this show a lot, how special teams need to be special day in and day out. You were a guy who was special on special teams. You were somebody who went out there, you would hit people, you'd make big plays all the time. You were somebody who we were very grateful to see stepping out on the field on special teams because we were somebody that we knew could take care of the issues. I just want to know a little bit about your mentality every single time you step out there to play special teams, knowing that it's a any play could change up the entire course of the game and what it's like being able to be in that position you were in. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, my my first play I ever got at Oregon, you know, was on special teams. Um, it was a punt return versus Wyoming. And, you know, once I got that first play, I was kind of hooked. You know, it's special teams are just a different type of game. You know, it's not much scheme. It's more of just like, you know, you versus the man ahead of you. And I, and I really like that mentality of it and stuff like that. And I knew I could get really good at it. You know, as my career went on, you know, I really focused on, you know, my technique and stuff like that, where I felt like a lot of people, you know, kind of took special teams lightly, you know, in the meetings or on the practice field and stuff. And, you know, I always kind of took it to myself, like, hey, I'm going to be the best special team on this team is, you know, and do everything as the best that I can. And, um, you know, come game day, I was always, you know, locked in. I, would, I mean, most guys don't watch film on special teams, but I was always watching film on special teams just to get that little edge, you know, because, People didn't really take it serious, but you know, I was I was all for it. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it definitely worked out me for me um, in the Rose Bowl. You know, watching all that film and stuff, you know, getting a little edge on some guys, and you know, it worked out really well. But yeah, special teams is kind of like, you know, really how I got you know some more playing time for defense and stuff like that. You know, kind of working my way up the depth chart through special teams because you know they saw I was making plays on you know kickoff. Um, I think I, I had five tackles on kickoff, so almost every single tackle. I think we had six kickoffs one game, and I had five tackles on that um, kickoff. So eventually they started giving some more play time on defense and stuff like that. So you know, I was super pumped to you know finally get some more snaps on defense and stuff like that. But special teams, man, you know, I took that stuff serious. 
Yeah, you made a bunch of plays in 2019 and in that Rose Bowl. Something that we've seen with this 2020 team is, a, you know, kind of some unsure tackling, some guys that aren't wrapping up or not laying the pads. But I remember seeing you as pound for pound, one of the toughest hitters and surest tacklers we had on the team. How do you develop that really? And how do you how do you tackle on a consistent basis? And what could the Ducks do this season to improve that? Um, I mean, it's just more of like a mindset thing. You know, we're doing um, tackling drills and practices and stuff like that. You know, it's all about hustling the ball. I feel like a lot of times missed tackles is because, you know, you're being lazy and, you know, you're not focusing on practice because, you know, we have these drills where it's like you're running literally one-on-one -on -one with a guy and you have the sideline and the guy can cut to the field as well. So we're always taught to take off the field and force him to only either juke out to the sideline or juke into you. And I feel like, you know, this year they just need to improve on, you know, taking sack tackling more serious. You know, when we do these drills, like, dude, I know the drill sucks, but take it serious, you know, because that's something that can really impact the game. You know, you have three missed tackles in a single play. Next thing you know, the guy's running down the sideline. It's a touchdown, you know. So I feel like, you know, for me, it was more of a mentality thing. Like, I was like, you know what, screw it. This guy's 240 pounds. I'm 190 pounds, you know, my my freshman year. I'm like, I got nothing to lose. I might as well go try to blast this guy. You know, I mean, if he runs me over, he does, but at least I'll make the tackle, you know, and um, just as my career went on, I feel like you know, I really worked on, you know, my tackling technique and just trying to be, you know, more aggressive because I feel like that's, you know, one of my strong suits is, you know, just going out there and hitting people, even though, you know, they're way bigger than me. Um, but yeah, it's just, I feel like, you know, what we're going to need to do this year is just kind of change their mentality, you know, and practice and stuff and really hit the, you know, tackling technique and all those things that they teach us every single day, just take that stuff serious. It's very clear that it was something that you took seriously, Brady. Throughout that entire 2019 season, as you mentioned, you went from not being able to start that first game to being a Rose Bowl MVP. Talk a little bit about what it was like to just feel that ascension, feel all that work come into fruition, and then be able to have your name written down in history as a Rose Bowl MVP, what that means to you, what that game meant to you, and what that season meant to you? Man, it was a dream come true. I mean, everything I worked for pretty much my whole life, you know, whether you're doing, you know, sprints at 6 a.m. with the team, you know, when it's pouring rain outside and it's dark, you can't even see. We got the lights on because it's so early, you know. You know, days like that are kind of the days that, you know, you work for so that you can have, you know, the opportunities I was able to have. And, you know, starting um, from the, the Auburn loss and going all the way to finish with the Rose Bowl win and, you know, being able to be MVP and stuff like that. Um, I mean, man, it meant the world to me. Um, I went to the 2000, I think it was a 2008 or nine Rose Bowl when Oregon played Ohio State. I was sitting up, you know, in the nosebleeds of that game. And I was like, wow, it's so cool to, you know, be at the Rose Bowl and stuff like that. And then I went to the 2015 Rose Bowl um, versus Florida State when Mariota just went off. And, um, you know, being able to play in the Rose Bowl was just, it was definitely special. Um, you know, I, I definitely looked in those, you know, little sections I sat, you know, being a diehard Duck fan and just kind of took it all in because, you know, I've, I've worked my whole life, you know, for that opportunity. And, you know, finally being able to work through the season, work through the depth chart, work through all, you know, the struggles off the field and stuff like that, mentally, you know, physically and everything like that. You know, it was just, it was amazing, you know, to be able to come out on top and, you know, have the, all the work that I put in, all the work our team has put in, you know, all the film, you know, all the days of practice where it's cold and raining outside and they make us go practice outside. I mean, all those things are totally worth it, you know, when you come out on top and, you know, that's why we play football. We play because it's hard. I mean, if it was so easy, everyone would play it, you know, but we play it because it's hard, it's physical 
and you get a great reward when you come out and you smash somebody's head in, you know, and it's, it's a big mentality thing. I feel like, you know, for me, I'm always kind of like quiet and nice on the field or off the field. But once I get on the field, it's like, it's game on. I mean, I don't care, you know, who this guy is, you know? And I feel like, you know, our whole team mentality last year was kind of the same way. Everyone was super nice, super hardworking off the field. Once we got on the field, like it was game on. I mean, Justin is the same way. He's just a, he's a grinder off the field. And then once he gets on the field, he's just like physical, you know, he's a, you know, good leader and stuff like that. So I feel like this season, if Oregon wants to be really good to finish the season strong, it's just, you know, be, you know, be more intense off the field. You know, I, I haven't seen anything this year, obviously, as far as watching film and stuff. Um, but I, w- I would like to, you know, see them, you know, really take this, this last part of the season seriously, even though there's, you know, there's no fans in the stands and stuff like that. But, you know, take this season seriously, man. You, they could make the run. You know, they have the talent and they have, you know, the ability, but, you know, they just need to go. Yeah, when you announced you were foregoing this season to go professional, I think a lot of fans were really surprised by that. But as a guy that got hurt six games into my senior year and saw us with, you know, this shortened season, um, I, I think I can really relate but and understand. But could you tell our, our Once a Duck fans, uh, you know, why you made the decision to leave early and what you're doing right now to prepare yourself for the professional level? Man, it was the toughest decision in my life, that's for sure. Um, you know, I sat and thought about it for um, a month or it was like, it was probably like four weeks, three to four weeks. You know, I just sat and thought about it. I mean, I was so stressed out. I could barely sleep, you know, I was, um, you know, sitting with my family on, on the phone all day, um, you know, calling my parents, calling my uncle, calling everybody, try to get their opinion, see what they think, what they think is best, calling, you know, NFL guys, seeing what they think. And what really came down to is I just felt like, you know, the way we ended last year and the way, you know, COVID just kind of like came in out of nowhere, um, cut off, you know, even our spring ball, we didn't get to have spring practice. We didn't really get to have any summer training. And once they announced, okay, we're going to have, you know, a switch schedule, we're going to play our first game September 26th. I was like, sweet, man, we get to play football season. And, you know, we were grinding, we were having a bunch of good walkthroughs. Like we looked legit on defense. I mean, we looked really good. And then next thing we know, uh, I think it was like, I can't remember what date it was, but it was in August. Um, we finished this walkthrough and the coach brings us up. He's like, hey, man, I just want to let you go. You guys know they canceled the season. And I mean, shoot, I went home. I was, I felt like I wanted to cry. I mean, I teared up when I got home because all that work we put in all summer, you know, even when we were in quarantine, whatever. I mean, I was working my butt off. And then, you know, for them to kind of cancel our season like that and just kind of like tell us, hey, man, sorry, guys. Like, we don't really care about you. You know, that was obviously pretty upsetting. And I mean, they told us, hey, you don't have to return until November. So a bunch of us, like, we weren't doing legit football training. We were training to stay in shape and training to, you know, get our bodies right. But you're not practicing, you're not conditioning and stuff like that. And I just felt like, you know what, that's just kind of a sign for me to, you know, just kind of make my decision to, you know, take it to the next level and go out of the season because it was only six games. I definitely would have came back if it was more than six games, but six games or possibly seven. I was like, you know, this is just so frustrating. There's just too many, you know, too many bad things that can happen. Games could get canceled. You know, if I were to test positive, then, you know, I would be out for three weeks. That's half the season, you know? So I just, I just didn't see, you know, a lot of positives coming out of it. Obviously I wanted to play football. Like if, you know, people know who I am and they've, you know, met me as a person, they know, you know, I'm a diehard football guy and I love playing football, but, 
you know, with the whole COVID thing, like I wasn't scared about COVID. I wasn't scared about testing positive. I was more scared of like having to miss games because like someone that I know tested positive, I somehow gave him a fist bump or whatever. I mean, there was just too many frustrating things about it. And I mean, I was obviously really upset about the whole six game thing instead of a full season. So I just felt like, you know, what? I just need to focus on me and train. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm down in Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona training um, in the Exodus facility. Um, see Odell every day, say what's up to him every day. I mean, there's a bunch of, you know, really good hardworking people here. Um, training with Ambry Thomas out of Michigan. He's like kind of my training par partner right now. He's a corner of Michigan. He opted out as well. So we've been really training together and, and getting some really good work in. Um, training with a bunch of NFL guys as well. So it's been, it's been really cool. It's been awesome, man. I mean, I've, I feel like I'm really content with my decision and stuff like that. You know, I feel like, you know, the progress I've made in the last six weeks that I've been here, I mean, it's been life-changing as far as my body and my mentality and stuff like that. So it's been really good. I mean, it's still a tough decision, but I feel like, you know, once you make the decision, you just got to keep rolling and, you know, keep focusing on what's next. And, you know, I'm excited for what's in store. Um, people are saying, you know, who'd you sign with some agent, like talked you out of it? No, my agent is not some crazy guy that tried to talk me out of leaving. He said, hey, whatever decision you make, um, you know, just hit me up. And whenever you make your decision, you know, it's totally up to you, man. I mean, he's a real good Christian guy. I mean, a guy that, you know, cares about me as a person. Getting Thanksgiving with him uh, this week. I mean, he's like a good guy. So, uh, I mean, I feel like I, I definitely signed with a really good agency and a good agent. And, um, you know, things have been really well, man. I'm, I'm loving it down here. Brady, we're so glad to hear how well it's going. Everybody, we are talking with the Brady Breeze. Follow him at Brady Breeze on all social media. Brady, you grew up in the state of Oregon. You're very familiar with the rivalry that's going to be taking place this weekend, Oregon versus Oregon State. I kind of just want to ask you, first and foremost, your feelings on the Beavers, your feelings on the rivalry. And then after that, we can get a little bit into the big moment you had in the rivalry game last season. Oh, man, that rivalry is uh, it's definitely tough. So uh, growing up, I never got to see a Civil War game. Never was able to get tickets, but I mean, um, we would have, you know, a Civil War party. You know, my whole family would have our cousins over, aunt and uncles, friends. I mean, it was almost like a, um, a Super Bowl party for us. We, like we'd have uh, Oregon State fans come in, Duck fans, everyone. I mean, we'd have the whole family over and stuff like that. So that game is definitely something that, you know, really stood out to me because, you know, it's just like if you make friends at school or whatever, you ask them if they're a Duck fan or a Beaver fan, you know, that rivalry is – you know, just a different type of rivalry that people don't really understand, you know, from, you know, out of state. And um, to finally be able to play in it, I mean, our first Civil War was uh, when we lost to Oregon State, my redshirt freshman year, and uh, people were dumping beer on us. We had, you know, when the fans rushed the field, they were, you know, cussing in our face. I mean, so that really fired me up as far as, you know, coming in for the next year, uh, you know, to make sure that thing never happens again. And Sure enough, the next year we put up 60 on them. So, you know, being able to play in the Civil War and, you know, have some great moments like that. And then last year, you know, being able to, you know, make some plays and stuff like that, it's, it, it was amazing. You know, to have all my fans, or not all my fans, but all my friends and stuff watch the game. You know, I have two brothers that went to Oregon State, a bunch of cousins that went to Oregon State. Um, so really, it's me and a few cousins out of our whole huge family that went to Oregon. Um, but... You know, 
So it's a, it's a big rivalry in my family. I mean, even after the game last year, you know, my family's coming up to me like, dude, you ruined the game for us because they're big uh, Oregon State fans. They're like, dude, I'm so proud of you. Like, it's awesome. So, I mean, the rivalry with my family is tough. I mean, they still give me crap for being a duck, you know, but my, like, true family, like, my, my first cousins, they're all, you know, duck fans and stuff. I got my second cousins. They all went to Oregon State. Um, and then my brothers went to Oregon State for engineering, but they're still duck fans at the end of the day, so. It's a good rivalry, though, man. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, Sam and I were down there last year for last year's game where you made a huge play. What's just one moment that was a, a favorite of yours as a player and one before you were a player for the Ducks of this rivalry? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson, his run he had um, in the Civil War, that's one that definitely stood out to me. Um yeah, I'd have to say that one or Josh Huff's catch um, in the end zone at the end of the game. That like all my cousins, we were all going crazy uh, in the living room watching that game. You know, when I was a kid, so you know that one definitely stuck out to me. But um, as far as playing, um, yeah, I'd have to say uh, playing against Thomas Tyner. That was kind of cool, you know, because I kind of looked up to him, you know, when I was a kid, you know, watching him play and stuff like that. So being able to play against him as a Beaver when he was playing for the Beavs, that was pretty cool to me. Uh, you know, I'm still a fan of him, obviously. <laughs> uh, but, you know, definitely that, that fumble, that was a play that stood out to me. The kickoff return for a touchdown, that was pretty sick. Um, yeah, that whole game was crazy, man. I mean, being able to pick up the fumble and being able to talk trash to my brothers and my cousins who are Beavers, you know, that's pretty cool, you know, from now on. But, yeah, that fumble, man, that was, that was something special. I, I still have the ball, you know, at my house right now. So, yeah, that was, that was a pretty special moment for me. Brady, we'll let you go just after this. We just have one more question for you. We ask all of our guests this, especially the week of a big ball game. What do you see going down up in Corvallis on Friday night? Oh, man. I mean, the Ducks have been playing really well. I mean, I feel like we can get the offensive defense really rolling. You know, I feel like we have a lot of potential right now. We haven't really gotten the season rolling. We've only played a couple games. Um, but I feel like, you know, they'll be able to get it rolling. This is a different type of rivalry, and I feel like, you know, we have enough leaders on the team that will, you know, keep this thing going and, you know, keep this little streak we have going the last couple of years. Um, but, yeah, I see the Ducks coming out on top. I mean, I feel like, you know, Tyler Shuck's been leading the offense. You got Kayvon, Pat Mack on defense. Um, I mean, we got a squad on defense. The Amador's been balling. Uh, Sewell's possibly coming back, so that'll be good. Slade at linebacker. I mean, we got a squad, so. I feel like the Ducks will be all right. I mean, this it's going to be weird not having a bunch of fans in the stands, you know, hooting and hollering. Um, but I feel like, you know, it's going to be a real good rivalry um, this weekend. But I still see the Ducks coming out on top. I mean, I can't help but say that, you know, because they've been playing pretty well. Awesome. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us. And, you know, we wish you all the best at the next level. And we hope that once you're a big time pro, you'll still remember us. Come back and join us for an episode again in a couple seasons on Once a Duck. Yeah, definitely, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, man. Once a Duck, always a Duck. Our youngest oh. guest, too. <laughs> By uh, far. At 23. Wow. Everyone calls yeah. me old man. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Awesome. Hey, thank you. For real. Yeah, thank you. Once Take a Duck, it easy. always a Duck. Man, defensive Rose Bowl MVP. Now we got one on offense and one on defense, Sam. Yes, sir. And that was a really fun one. I was glad Brady was able to jump on with us, even if there was a connection issue or two at times. I'm still glad to be able to see him, glad to be able to hear from him a little bit. Glad to hear that his journey is going so well.
Yeah, and while selfishly, I think all Duck fans would have loved to see him or particularly contribute to this defense right now. Uh, you know, I think you heard it from him, uh, you know, and, and, and like I mentioned a little bit, I totally relate. I understand as a guy that got hurt six games into my senior year, I look at this season and I wonder, man, if you have the tape out there to flash on an NFL highlight tape and just one person uh, thinks that you're worth a draft pick, uh, you you really can't do much this season to to you know go and improve that uh, you know you, you just the plays he made in the Rose Bowl are things that you know you don't see every day you know those guys these are you know those scouts those things pop on film guys remember that and uh, so if you have any opportunity and people are out there you know telling you that you you could go anywhere you know like even even fifth sixth round in a year like this. I think that's totally acceptable and I have no, no, no ill will or feelings towards those players. Cause I totally understand, you know, um, from Penne on down to Brady, I think, uh, you know, all of them I wish them all the best. I hope they'll all be guests someday, but uh, it's a hard, hard decision, Sam. And uh, you know, I'm really glad he could talk to us about it. It's a decision. I wouldn't want to have to be forced to be made by any stretch of the imagination. And the fact that he was able to go through it was quite impressive. Nick, we do have a little bit more to talk about here. We've got a little bit more time. It's time to talk a little bit more of this rivalry. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to have to just get into our prediction for the sip. Mm. Almost. Almost made it. Almost made it the whole end of the show. But, yeah, uh, three times. So, but, you know, once a duck, we're all about change around here, changing our ways. We're not like Derek Anderson. Uh, I, I'll, I will totally accept the change of the names. Um, yeah the old one was a little dated and it was always weird to explain to people from like out of, you know, even my girlfriend who goes to Arizona state, like she, I had to explain to her like what the whole name change was and everything. And uh, it's like, why was it that? Oh, well, yeah, it's a good question. Plus, you know, platy cup, like you really can't beat that. Who do you have winning the platy cup and what's your final score prediction, Sam? Well, the first platy, I think, is going to belong to the Oregon Ducks. And this is going to be a closer game than people expect. I think that both teams will be able to put up points. I don't think that's going to be part of the problem at all. I think Oregon's run-stop defense is going to continue to have its struggles now and then. Jamar Jefferson's way too good of a running back not to take some advantage of that. I think that Oregon State puts a scare into the Ducks, but Oregon still comes away a 41-31 to 31 victory. I like that. I like that a little bit. I, I'm very consistent with you on the Oregon State score. I think it's going to be a 38-31 Ducks, Ducks win. And uh, furthermore, uh, I'm going to go even further and hoping that Cam McCormick is back this week. I'm going to say our tight ends have a huge day with uh, – I think the defenses are going to be really focused on Camp Moore. I think whoever that second tight end is going to step up, have a big day in this uh, platypus cup, Sam. The Platypus Cup will be a very fun ball game, one that I know I can't wait to sit down and watch as well as all of you. But, folks, if you're listening to this the day it came out, you're listening to it on Thanksgiving. So thank you. We appreciate it. Now go spend more time with your family. Seriously, we are very thankful for you. But 
if you are spending your day watching this and, uh, you know, 2020 is hard, not everybody can see their families, but just take some time today, reach out to someone, let them know you're thankful for us. That's going to be you guys. We thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming to the show each week. And, uh, it's been awesome to see how many people are not just watching, but giving us great feedback. And, uh, you can always reach us at once a duck on Twitter, or as always at just follow 61 or for Sam at Samuel one Oh one TS reach out anytime. We'll answer your guys' questions right here on the show as we already have. And uh, stay tuned for more great episodes, more great giveaways. We're always here because once a duck, always a duck, baby.